Hey, good morning, y'all. Good morning. It is a great day. It's a beautiful day outside. We're going to get wet here in a little bit. I may have to hold some people down a little extra, make sure it takes. I'm not saying who. I'm just saying may have to have. We'll see. Give it about an hour. See if the Holy Spirit does something in here. Um, but I, I, we're, in, we're in week three of a series we started on Easter, which is a little odd that we start a series on Easter. But Easter's a rebirth, you know, and, and so we started this series, and we're in, in the third week today. I think we got maybe another couple of weeks. Today's message, the name of the message is Rock Solid. You'll figure out why it's Rock Solid here, <clears throat> excuse me, in just a little bit. Now, before we jump into the message, I want to jump on the bandwagon a little bit about the men's weekend and the women's weekend, or the women's, uh, the Mother's Day event. The men's weekend next week, the Mother's Day uh, uh, thing the next week. If you're a guy, you need to be here next week. It is going to be fantastic. And the, you know, Richard mentioned in the, did y'all notice Richard was up there and then magically the lights went off and he just was right there? That's the, we're learning how to make movies up in here. But um, anyway, anyway, he mentioned a guy named Lee McBride. Well, Lee McBride's been a friend of mine since we were in middle school. Uh, and we, we had a gap from about middle school age until our kids were about six and because we went to different high schools but uh, but Lee in when our kids were playing t-ball they were five or six years old and the coaches we would all kind of go have breakfast together on Saturday morning before we spent uh, an absurdly obsessive amount of time up at the ball field every Saturday and Lee was there and and we're sitting there across the table and I'm like God, I know this guy we call him Big Lee or the big kahuna. Lee is a big dude. Lee's probably six, four, and, you know, three something or another. Big guy. And I'm sitting there looking, I'm like, I know you from somewhere. And he's looking at me, and he's like, I know you from somewhere. I said, I said, I think we played middle school football together. And he said, yeah, I was a center. And I said, I was a quarterback, and my hands have been, anyway, we knew each other. And my hands had been underneath his hind end, you know, like a lot when we were in middle school. It was just funny. Well, Lee is a Christian comedian. He's a pastor. He's been a student pastor. He's a fantastic guy, and he loves, fervently loves Jesus. So if you are a guy, and he's a manly, manly guy, hunts, fishes, super funny guy. Um, his ministry is called Hidden Hook Ministries. So anyway, if you're a guy, you need to be here next Friday night and Saturday morning. And the same thing would hold true, although Lee's not going to be speaking at the, at the women's luncheon. Um, but you need, if you're a female, you need to be at that luncheon. It's going to be a great time. Whitney is going to share and share the Lord. So anyway, the next, that's the next couple of weeks. Now, let me tell you, May, we jump into this message I think God's kind of got for us. May of 1981. I'm going back however many years the math says that is, but May of 1981, which as, a, as an aside was about six months before our first date, which was on November 13th, 1981. The women should be clapping that I know the date of our first date. I've shamed every man up in here. Every wife is looking, when was our first date? No. May, <laughs> I hear you, bro. May of 1981, Muffin, who is a dog, a little dog. Muffin is barking like mad in the in the yard, and a lady named May Rose Williams 
she, she thought that Muffin is chasing a squirrel, and May Rose Williams goes out in the yard. This is in Winter Park, Florida. Anybody know where Winter Park, Florida is? Yeah. yeah. So this is in Winter Park, Florida, 1981. <clears throat> and she goes out thinking the dog is chasing a squirrel. When she goes out, she sees a sinkhole. Y'all know what a sinkhole is? Beginning in her yard, and the sinkhole got bigger and bigger, and it, it swallowed up her, her entire house. It ended up swallowing up the neighborhood and swallowing up even the neighborhood pool. That was in 1981. Did millions and millions of dollars worth of damage in Winter Park, Florida. Fast forward uh, 30 years to 2010 in Guatemala. Um, a tropical storm Agatha sweeping across Central America in 2010. And a sinkhole opens up in Guatemala City. And this sinkhole in Guatemala City swallowed up about, a, I think, about a 10-story building. And the sinkhole actually was 30 stories deep. And so these two images of this really shaky, kind of weak ground is what happens with a, with a sinkhole. I want you to keep in your minds, keep the image of a sinkhole in your mind as we look at Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 7. And here's what Jesus said. He said, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blow, blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall. Why didn't it not fall? Because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine, Jesus goes on, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and the Bible says and great was the fall of it. Y'all, building our lives on the rock solid, the, the, the rock of God's word is the only sure foundation, period. It is the only sure foundation. Every other, uh, every other foundation is shifting sand or weak ground, however you, would, <clears throat> however you would couch that. And when I look out in the world today, I don't care which direction you look out in the world, the craziness out in the world today, the culture has just jacked up the foundation. Like on steroids, the culture has jacked up the foundation. And I'm afraid that, that some of the, the ideas or, or some of the, the quote, truce, you know, and I'm, I'm putting big quotation marks around the word truce, that guide the world today. They may on the surface in a superficial way look like they're solid, but they're way more like a sinkhole that is just ready to devour you, to swallow you up. And so when Jesus talks about these two, these two builders in Matthew chapter 7, um, you're going to notice that it was not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. It's not a matter of if the rain is going to come, it's a matter of when the rain is going to come. And the rain did come, and the waters did rise, and, and the winds did blow, and they did beat against the house. Like, I don't want to scare anybody. It's not about that. And you don't really have to worry about the rain and the wind and the storms. You don't have to worry about it if, if, every, if your life is built on a solid foundation. You don't have to worry about that. But I'm telling you this, the storm's coming. It's, it's coming. The rain, it's coming. You can take it to the bank. You know, the rain, the waters, the wind, they're going to show up in our lives. And probably... If I said, raise your hand, if the, if the storms ever come in your life, every hand in this room would go up. Mine would go up two times right now and three times every Sunday. I mean, it, I mean, it's coming. 
and the foundation of your life and the foundation of my life is the difference in a life that stands firm and a life that stands solid and a life that is grounded versus a life that gets swallowed up by a sinkhole. It's what is it built on? Reality is that every day you and I are laying bricks in the structure of our lives. Because, y'all, we are living today, 2021, whatever it is, whatever it is, what we're living today is the result of what we were building yesterday. Every single day at work, every weekend, every interaction that we have with each other, it's all part of the, of the structure that you're building that's called your life. And I'm going to say whether you're an atheist, you're an agnostic, you're, you're a, a, a Jesus follower, you are a, a Hindu, Buddhist, I don't, whatever it is, we're all probably building careers. We're building families. We're building friendships. We're building relationships one with another. And the main difference is in the foundation that undergirds whatever it is that we're building. And I'm going to ask y'all, and I'm going to ask you to think about this. What is it that is undergirding and shaping everything that is built in your life? Is the career that you're building, is it standing on your desire to know and to follow and to glorify Jesus? Because he should permeate every sphere of your life. It's not, a, it's not you don't separate that. You don't say, well, that's my Sunday thing. But when I walk out the door Sunday after church, then that's, it's a different, that's different. No, he undergirds every single sphere of our lives. So is, 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 your, is your life built on that? Or, you know, is your life built on a desire to get more and more and more stuff, accumulating this, hoarding this, you know, on a, des, on a desire or, a, or a, you think that you need this and this and this, but you don't. It's a desire, it's a want, and is it for more stuff? Is it built on that? Because the truth is, if it's all built on Jesus, all that other stuff can go away and you still got everything. Uh-huh, like everything. Somebody said, you know, it is okay to say amen in here. I don't know about pew jumping and stuff, but it's okay to say amen. Um, I was supposed to say that at the beginning of, of the message today. Reality, though, is if, you're, if, if everything is built on him, Whatever it is that you got can go away and you got him and he's all that you need. He's all that I need. But if you built every, if you built everything and it all is grounded and founded on, on, on that desire for more stuff, more things, more more, more just whatever, and when you, and you lose that, well you just kind of lost everything you had. It's misery. It's misery. So you know, what I'm asking y'all, think about this week. What is it that you're building your life on? And if you notice in, in verse 24, what Jesus said about how we build the foundation. Verse 24 again says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And so while this building thing is, is intimately linked, it's intimately tied to salvation, this passage is not a saved versus unsaved passage. It's not. Because the reality is you can believe in Jesus, and this may be a little theoretical, but you can believe in Jesus 
You can be bought by the, by the blood. You can be a new creation. You can be reborn. And you can still sneak into heaven having done absolutely nothing with your life other than sit on a, on a couch and watch and play video games. It, it could happen. That is not what he would have for us to do, though. It's absolutely not what he would have for us to do. Paul talks about this. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, when he said, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold or silver or precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it. It's going to show. Something's going to come out. And it'll be made manifest on the day. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Y'all, I believe, if we look back at, at chapter 7, these words that were in chapter 7, I believe those words are, are, are more about being wise or unwise in the way that we live out in the world. I believe that he is showing us the difference between a life full of joy and peace and patience and kindness and self-control and gentleness and the difference between that life and a, and a life that's full of misery. That, that's, the, that's what he's showing us. That's what he's talking about. And he's pointing out to me and you that, that the way to a, to a faith that endures, a faith that, that overcomes, a trust and a belief that overcomes no matter what comes against it. The way that looks compared to a faith that falls apart and collapses with the slightest little bit of resistance, the slightest little bit of wind, the slightest little bit of rain. And Jesus said it comes down to two things, two things. First thing it comes down to is you hear my word. You hear my word. Second thing is you live my word. You hear my word. It comes into my ears. If you're here every Sunday, you will hear the gospel. I promise you that. You will hear the gospel. It comes into your ears. It gets into your brain. Your mind is renewed. You're transformed. It gets into your brain, but it doesn't stop. It doesn't stop there. It comes down and it permeates your body and it gets into your heart and when the gospel gets into your mind and your ears and comes to your heart it's got to come out like you can't be the same on the good side of the cross as you were on the bad side of the cross you can't it's got to come out there's got to be thank you, you there's got to be fruit and so you live it you don't just hear it yes you hear it it begins with that but then you live it and there's got to be there's just there's no such thing as a fruitless Christian there has to be fruit. Again, it could be a raisin today, but it's probably going to be a grape next week, and then it's going to be an apple maybe the week after. And before you know it, you've got an orchard of watermelons in your life. That was a crazy analogy. That is not on my notes. That just, like, came out. Y'all get it, though. You cannot be a fruitless Christian. So, you hear my word, you live my word. It just comes out. And there's no way around the, to get around the authority and the importance that Jesus put on the truth in Scripture. The truths, the, the timeless truths, the truth claims 
that the word of God makes. In John chapter 10, he said, Scripture cannot be broken. You know, if the lights go out and the mic goes out, we're still going to hear this message. Y'all get that? Okay. During Jesus' ministry, three and a half years or so, he points back and he affirms over and over the accounts of Abraham and Isaiah and Moses and, 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 and Jonah and Jeremiah and, and many of the prophets. And he, he, he quotes them all the time when he's in the Old Testament and when Jesus is talking and he's teaching. He quotes them all the time. All the time when he's driving his points home and he's walking around Galilee and he's walking all over Israel, he is pointing back constantly to the authority that the Old Testament had. And one of the major reasons why we, you and I, believe in the authority of all of the scripture, of this whole book, which includes the left side too, the Old Testament, one of the reasons is because he did. He did. He didn't have a pocket New Testament in his back pocket. He had a pocket Old Testament in his back pocket because the New Testament hadn't been written yet. He's living it out in the moment, but he's reaching back to God's word in, in all of the prophets and the law and the writings. And he's driving his points home with the truths that are found in Scripture. And then you look in, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the Gospels, and 20, or 20 really plus times, Jesus points to the Old Testament when he says, it is written, da-da-da-da-da, whatever it is. And it is amazing, y'all, that the one, like the guy who had the power to just cast out demons on command, the guy who could have just said, hmm, Satan, and thumped him off the planet. Y'all do know he could have done that, right? Well, what, how did he resist the temptation in the desert in Matthew chapter 4? Go read Matthew 4. Well, how did, what did Jesus kind of wrestle with Satan with? With the word of God. He said three times in Matthew 4, it is written. Satan's, you know, tempting him with, I give you the whole world. And Jesus says, it is written. He's going back in scripture and he's, he's resisting the temptation and, and he's fighting with the word of God. Y'all, his example really shows us the the power and the truth that is in God's word, that that is the foundation upon we can, we can trust and we can build our lives on that. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and active. It doesn't say that it's dead and stagnant. No, it says it's living. The word of God is living and it's active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It doesn't say it's dull. It's sharp. He even says it pierces to the division of, of the soul and spirit, of joints and, and marrow, and it discerns the word of God, discerns the thoughts and the intentions of, of the human heart. Y'all, his word is truth because he is truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life, so his word is truth. It's really, though, a different kind of truth than we would, in, in our language, that we would just say, well, that just makes sense. That, it's, no, it's not really that kind of truth. Why? Because it is God-breathed. It's the only book that's ever been penned that is God-breathed. And it's this, this combination. It's 100% man, and it's 100% God, the Bible. You can't take the James out of the book of James, and you can't take God out of the book of James. Do y'all get that? It's not like the, the, the human penman of the Bible went into a trance and God grabbed their hand and started to know that's not the way we understand it to have happened. 
They were inspired. They were inspired and they wrote as God directed. If, if it wasn't that way, every book would sound the same. You know, and you and I know that Paul will write a sentence that's about this long. And so everything doesn't look like Paul in the New Testament. But it's living. His word is living and it's active and it's truth. His word is a kind of truth, y'all, that can bust the chains that have got your heart locked up. Like, I don't know what's going on in your life. I know that all of us in different seasons, we got chains around our heart. His word will bust that chain. You got shackles around your ankle. You've been dragging around some garbage for 20 years. The word of God will break that chain like it ain't nothing. Like it ain't nothing. He will. But you got to be in the word. You got to be in the word. It, it can produce a, the word of God. It can produce just fountains of joy and peace and patience and kindness and all of the fruit of the spirit. And it's, not, it's, it's, it's way more than just right or wrong. And of course, it is right and wrong, but it's way more than right or wrong. It is in alignment. It's getting ourselves, it's the vehicle that we can get ourselves aligned with the creator of the universe. Think about that. His word, we're digging in it, is a way to, to, to get us aligned with his will, the guy that created everything in the universe. It is the way that he, it tells us the way that he intended things to be. That is truth. And it carries all of his power and all of his authority. And there's so much power in the truth. And the way, one super easy way to, to see the power that truth has is just to look at the destruction and devastation that can be caused by a lie. Just one lie. Just one lie. Look at the dude name, his last name, last name is Nelis, 1903, in Europe. He writes a book and he says, uh, it's, it's about the Jewish conspiracy. And he says, uh, in a kind of a subtle way, that the Jews are corrupting the world. They have a plan to corrupt and conquer and take over the world. 1903, he writes that. The Nazi party locks onto that. It's taught in their schools to their children. They, 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 they lock onto it. It's taught in schools. Eventually, that ends up resulting in 11 million people you know, being slaughtered in World War II in, in the camps. So the inverse of that lie stuff, the inverse of that is that the truth, the truth changes everything. It changes everything. Think about the power of this statement. I was wrong. I was wrong. Anybody watch Happy Days on Nickelodeon? Y'all remember Fonzie said I was wrong. He couldn't get the words out. All you young people have absolutely no idea what I'm talking about. Think about it, though. Have you ever said or thought I was wrong? Or if you, have, you ever, have you ever been wrong about a person? Have you ever been wrong in your approach to something? And when you finally understood the truth, really nothing about your own situation changed. It's just the way you've been, you were in the dark and now you're in the light. And, and when, you, when you go from the, from the dark to the light, everything changes, even though your circumstance didn't change. But the Lord reveals the truth to you. The truth is beautiful. The truth is powerful. In God's sovereignty and his providence, he has been so merciful and so gracious and so kind. Like I feel so honored and privileged that he, 20 years ago, that he revealed the truth to me. 
And so he reveals the truth in his graciousness, in his kindness, in his, in his perseverance. He reveals the truth about how anything that I need in this life, he reveals the truth in, in the scripture. And it's funny that, y'all, there are things that, throughout our lives, I think, there are things that we believe and that we hold on to as fact that really just aren't true. You know, Napoleon was not short. Napoleon was 5'6". That was average height in the early 1800s. There is not zero gravity in space. It's just that the distance between objects dramatically reduces the force of gravity so that it feels like nothing compared to when we stand on Earth. Did you know this? Did you know that you cannot fit your thumb in your nostril? I, you really can. I just wanted to see who would try it. Some of y'all tried it, so it really does fit. No, the reality, though, y'all, is this. There are all sorts of lies that attack us every day. And you understand, man, I say this often up here, the devil wants to eat you. And he wants to eat your husband. He wants to eat your wife. He wants to eat your kids. That's what he does. He's been doing it a long time. And he is running around, and he is seeking to devour you. He is. Well, how does he do that? He's a liar. That's how he does it. He's a liar, and he will spew lies to you, little ones, big ones. Little ones sneak in all the time, all the time. And there's all sort of little lies that attack us every day. And without the truth of God, God's word to show us differently, we'll feed the lies, we'll believe the lies, we'll live by the lies, and we'll fall and we'll fail because of the lies. But if we don't get something, some external help, something that transcends the world, something that... That, that transcends life to show us differently, we'll never know any different. That's the word of God, y'all. Little things that I'm going to bet, maybe since your teenage years, I don't know, maybe even as a child, little things that you've sort of bought into throughout life, that the word that you, that you hold as just fact, that the, that the word of God would say, no, 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 Susan, it's not like that. Little things, some big but some little. Have you ever thought or said or believed, I'll never recover from this. I will never recover from this. I'm always one step away from life just falling apart. Eeyore. Have you ever felt that way, said that, believed that? Have you ever said, I'm always going to feel like this? If you've ever suffered from depression and you're in your bedroom and the, the blinds are closed, the draperies are pulled and you're in a ball curled up in the bed, and you have bought the lie that I will always feel the way that I feel. And somebody said to you, man, there is a light at the end of the tunnel, and his name is Jesus Christ. And you said, bought, and believed, no, there's not. I will always feel like this. That's a lie from hell, y'all. It is. God's word would say totally the other, otherwise to every one of these lies. If, here's a big one. Did God really say? And then you fill in the blank. It's the first lie that was foisted upon man. Did God really say, not need of that tree, did God really say for me not to, um, that, I, that I shouldn't be driving down the road with me and another woman in the car with me, just us two? Is that okay to do? I don't think it is okay to do. Did, did God really, fill in the blank, whatever it is. And Satan is going to get in your ear and he's going to spew these little lies have you ever bought this, this lie? And, and, and maybe even 
perceived God to be this angry old dude sitting on a throne up in the sky somewhere. He's so uptight, and he doesn't want me to have any fun, and he really doesn't like me. Have you ever said that to yourself? Have you ever said or believed, and this is rampant in teenagers. Well, you know what? It's rampant in adults, particularly in the social media world that we live in. I'm not as good. I'm not as pretty. I'm not as lovable. I'm not as, 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 as Christian as he or she. Have you ever bought that lie? Comparison is the death of joy, y'all. And all of those things, here's the truth. God's word overthrows every single one of those lies. And, 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 and we, when we can grab onto and when we can hold on to the truths in his word and the truth claims that his word makes and give those truth claims feet and hands, putting those truths into practice, everything changes. We say it all the time, go be the hands and feet of Christ. Because here's the, another reality. If it stops right there, you know, I could be the, the greatest biblical scholar theologian that ever walked the planet. I could quote to you Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy by memory from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Deuteronomy. And if it stops right there, like what good is that? Like what good is that? It doesn't need to stop at the door of the church. Like it doesn't. It doesn't. It, I said it a minute ago. It, when, it, when it pierces to the division of your body and your soul, it's just got to come out. And so it's, it's hear it and, and live it. His word, his scripture, I'm telling you to hold on to it. Can you trust it? Can you trust the scripture? Can you trust that when I say that, can you trust the text? I hear this, I'm going to say all the time, but that's not true. Often I'll hear, well, that's just some ancient book. It was written two or three or four thousand years ago. It's not relevant today. Of course it's not relevant. It was written so long ago. And that would be true if it was an, a manual for how to build an iPhone. But it ain't a manual of how to build an iPhone. It's a manual to give us wisdom and to give us guidance in the way that we believe, in the way that we treat each other, in the way we speak, in the way we react to things that happen to us out there in the world. It's a, it's a, it's a book that guides us into what is always true. You know, there are things that are always true. No matter where you live or when you live, there are truths in the scripture transcend time and culture. They're always true. We call those moral absolutes. The world is going to tell you there's no such thing. It's lie from hell. There are things. Abortion is always wrong. Always. I don't care where you live or when you live, it is wrong. It is a sin. So it's not a manual on how to build an iPhone. And so when we're talking about books, I guess, I'd rather put my trust, my faith into a book that has proven itself over time. You know it's been burned, thrown in the trash, stomped on, tried to be squashed. Any other way you could, ver you could verbalize to be destroyed, it has withstood the test of time. Amen. It has. You know why? It's God-breathed. It's God-breathed. There is no other God-breathed book. There never has been. And so I want to put my trust in, in, in that. And I hear people often, they'll... They'll whine and they'll complain that it must have changed. You know, you surely, my family, you surely don't think that what you're reading today is what was actually penned two and 3,000 years ago. You're smarter than that. 
Surely you don't believe that. Well, as a matter of fact, I do. God's hand of protection has been over his word, right? And so I do. It's like they look at it like as some fancy theological game of telephone. Any of y'all ever played telephone when you were a kid? Raise your hand if you played telephone. All right, so telephone. It would be like kids sitting in a, in a circle and the first one whispers to the other one, you know, I've got a new puppy named Willow. And it goes around and it makes its way all the way back to Susan. And Susan repeats it and she says, I'm as guppy sleeps under his pillow. No, y'all, that's not, like, that's not the way it went down. That's not the way that we got the scripture. That's not, and, and, and even in today's world, where is Satan's attack? Turn the Discovery Channel on. The attack is on the text. Because Satan knows that if, if he can attack the text and get you not to trust the text, then it all else is going to fall apart. When I picked up a Bible 21 years ago to read it to find truth, my goal was to disprove the text. Let me find some errors. I didn't pray that because I didn't pray. I thought in my mind, I'm going to find where it's messed up. And if it's messed up, if I can find anywhere where it's messed up, I can just toss it in the trash because it all falls apart. That's what Satan, y'all, is going to do. The scholars that work on translations and stuff today, they're looking back. There's thousands of manuscripts of Scripture. Thousands. If you pick up Plato and you read Plato, that's not Plato, P-L-A-T-O. If you read Plato, no one in this room, I would imagine, no one would think that they weren't reading what Plato wrote. No one out there in the world would think they weren't reading what Plato wrote. But they do with Scripture. There's 10,000 more manuscripts of the Bible than there is of, of Plato's Republic. It's ridiculous. Held to any accurate test of the, of the, of the trustworthiness of the, of the Bible, of the book, when it's held against any other ancient book, this is more trustworthy, not less trustworthy. So you can trust that what you're reading is what was penned, especially if you can read Greek and Hebrew. I'm not telling you to go take Greek and Hebrew. I'm telling you it's a trustworthy book. I mean, there's a, there's a, a manuscript of, the, of John's gospel that dates within 25 years of John's life. There is no other ancient text that comes anywhere close to that. Anywhere close. And y'all, if you're a follower of Christ, you need to be conversing in truth. You need to be in your Bible every single day. Every day. Imagine if you only ate food on Sunday and Monday through Saturday you just drank water. Are you going to survive? Yeah, you're probably going to survive. But you're not going to be healthy. You're definitely not going to be healthy. You're not going to be joyful. You're not going to be all the fruit of the Spirit. You're not going to be. You're, you're really probably going to be miserable. I'm talking about 10 minutes a day. 10 minutes a day in God's Word will probably make all the difference in, in the way you view life, in everything that you do. It'll change the way that you pray. God speaks to us through his word. He does. And when we say, and you'll hear me say, and you hear other teachers and preachers say, discern the voice of God, we're not, we're not talking about hearing the audible sound of God's voice like James Earl Jones coming into your ears or something. No, it's the only way that we can convey that truth in, in human terms that you'll understand and that I'll understand. The voice of God is coming through the pages of his, of his Bible. 
It is. Discern that, discern that voice. Hear that voice. And then you and me speaking back to him is prayer. Prayer, the word, the word of God, he speaks to us through that. And, and when we pray, we are talking back to him. I find it amazing that through his word and through our prayers, we get to have a two-way conversation with the guy that spoke everything into existence. Is there any greater honor and privilege ever? I get to t I never said a prayer until I was 37 years old. I didn't know nothing about no prayer. But I get to, and I use that word intentionally, I get to talk to the guy that created me and everything else. Amen. Holy moly, y'all. What an honor and what a privilege. And it's not even that I get to. He wants me to. He wants all of y'all to. Like, that is unbelievable. It points me right back to every day waking up and I can't even believe I'm saved. And not only am I saved, he wants to talk to me every day. What a privilege. Like, what a privilege. Look at John 14. Jesus told us. He says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. It doesn't stop there, by the way. This I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Of course, these two verses are wildly misapplied and misconstrued. So before you go out and buy a lottery ticket across the street at Circle K, I want to give you a qualifier. You know, Jesus told us that, that whatever we ask in his name, he'll do whatever we ask in his name so that the Father will be glorified. Have you ever been given a power of attorney or even given power of attorney to someone? If you give somebody power of attorney, you are saying that their signature has the same power, the exact same power and authority as your signature. And when they take on that responsibility, when they take on that power, they're acting on your, be on your behalf. They're acting in your best interest. They have both the power of your name. Their signature equals your signature. So they have both the, the power of your name and the responsibility to protect your name, right? I took power of attorney one time for somebody 15 years ago uh, in a real estate transaction, husband and wife. They were still in Korea, military couple. And I had to sign for both of them. Christina Renee Stubblefield and Jonathan Benjamin Stubblefield. And my name is Edward Paul Griffinhagen. And when you sign as power of attorney, and I had to sign for both of them, two loans, each loan about 125 documents, I had to write Jonathan Benjamin Stubblefield by Edward Paul Griffinhagen as his attorney in fact. And I had to do the same thing for her. On, t on two loans, like I'm writing around the edges of the, it was insane. But you know what? It is, that's an awesome task if you, if you really get it. Because I had to act in their best interest. I had total responsibility for them. They were buying a house. And it was on me because I'm signing for them. So when you pray in Jesus' name, it's not just tacking on in Jesus' name to some random words. It's not. Don't be so flippant about the Lord's name. It's, it's not like that. It's not like some arbitrary thing, da-da-da. Lord, Give me a new, a new Mercedes in Jesus' name, amen. And then we'll walk outside and some new Mercedes is going to be in the drive. No, I, wouldn't do, I would be a Jeep, not a Mercedes. But, 
but it, I can't just tack in Jesus' name on that because that's not, that's not, maybe it's in his will to get me a new Jeep. It's probably not. It's about being in, in, inside of God's will. How do we discern God's will? Here it is. Like dig in, dig in and read it. The most, the clearest, the most um, complete way to know his will is to stay regularly in his word, to keep in two-way communication with him. You're, you're in the word, you're praying to him. He's speaking to you through the word, you're praying to him. He wants to be your Abba Father. What a sweet word. He wants you to crawl up in his lap and he puts his arm around you and says, what's going on? That, like that's what he wants. That is what he wants. Does he need it? No, God doesn't need anything. But he values you more than you will ever value yourself. Ever. And so he wants that. And together, through that combination of the word and prayer, the world can change. Your life can change, for sure. The people around you can change. And via that, the world can change. And he reminds us of that, that tag team combination in his words in John 17 when he prays for his disciples. He says, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. He says, your word is truth. And that word sanctify, that Greek word that we translate sanctify, it means to be holy, to be set apart. And not just set apart for nothing, but set apart with a special purpose. And you got to remember that as a Christ follower, you are not of the world. The Bible doesn't say don't be in the world. You've got to be in the world. How's the world going to be changed if the vehicle that the Lord chose to tell the world about himself, if you're not in the world? You have to be in the world, but you're not of the world. Y'all don't ever forget that. You've got to be in the world. You're different. As a Christ follower, you're different. I am different. You want to call me a Jesus freak? I'm good, like, I'm good with that. I'm super good with that. The reality is that the, the world has split off from God's plan. God didn't split off from the world. The world split off from his plan and his purposes. And the world is built on a different foundation. And, of course, I'm talking about the lost world. The lost world holds different values, has different hopes, has different goals. And if you remember, that foundation is ultimately a sinkhole that will swallow you up. And so Jesus doesn't ask for us to be taken out of the world to not be in it. He says very clearly, don't be of the world. He urges us to seek his truth in his word, to declare and to ask for truth when we pray to, to the Lord, when, and then to build with the truth in our lives. And I'm telling you, in the world today, one of the shakiest, you know, most shifting sands of, of, quote, truth, the things that the world places so much value, so much weight on, is, is our own unique personal experiences and, and our feelings. But our feelings change every day. Y'all, all of us, our feelings change every day. And our experiences, while valid, We've got 70, at best, probably 70, 80 years of experience to see if, it, if our experiences can lead us to truth. At the end of the day, the Lord's got generations, millennia, to, for his truth to be proven true, if I said that right. Y'all, he can make a promise to me today and it be fulfilled in my great, 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 great granddaughter. The rally cry of the culture is, but, that, but, but, I, but that's just how I feel. And you can't tell me that my feelings are wrong. Heck, no, I can't. 
And I, I, no, I can't. I can't tell you how to feel. I definitely can't. But I can tell you this with absolute assurity. Absolute assurity. I'm, I'm going to tell you that your feelings are valid, but I can tell you this with absolute assurity. If your feelings don't line up with God's word, I can tell you that whatever feelings you're having are not true. You bought a lie. Does that make sense the way I said that? If your feelings are in contradiction to the word of God, your feelings are founded on a lie. I'm not saying they're not valid because they, they are valid. I'm not saying your experiences aren't valid. You, people say, well, I don't, I don't like that. It's just an old book. I don't like it. I don't like the way it makes me feel. It doesn't make me feel comfortable. We're not called to feel comfortable. We're not. You know, th those kind of things aren't answers for us to contradict or ignore the truth claims that Scripture makes, the commands that God gives us in His Word. Our responsibility really to the truth, it goes beyond the way that we feel at any given moment. There are times, y'all, in our lives where, where we got to act despite the way we feel. we got to put one foot in front of the other when we don't feel like doing that because God tells us to persevere in what? In, in the truth. And, our, and our, our, our responsibility even goes beyond just, just hearing it or accepting it. We are responsible to do what it says because it's the truth, and it's a truth that is bigger than us. And fortunately, the, truth, the truths in Scripture are always working in our best interest. Always. Always working for our long-term growth and, and life. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the Word is the primary way that he talks to us. We need to be people of the Word. We need to read the Word. We need to memorize the Word. We need to know the Word. We need to, to, to dig in. Above all, we need to do what it says. Our feelings come and go like shifting sand, and, and the wisdom of the culture ebbs and flows like a river, changes all the time, all the time. But God's Word endures. It will always endure. You know, pray through His Word and determine that you're not just going to hear it, but you'll put it in practice. You'll give it hands and feet. And when the waters rise and the winds blow and the rain comes, when tragedy strikes, because it's going to strike, right? When doubts come, and anybody that would raise their hand as a Christ follower and say you've never had any doubts about anything, I'm going to say you're not being honest with yourself. The doubts are going to come. But what am I grounded on? If I'm grounded on solid foundation, right? Fa solid foundation. Herschel Walker can come running at me, and I'm going to take him down because I'm grounded. Do y'all know who Herschel Walker is? Please tell me that you do. I know it's okay. My brothers and sister back there do. I'm grounded, and I can withstand any of that rain, any of the storms. I can withstand it because I'm solid and I'm built on God's word, not the lies of the world. Because I'm built on the lies of the world, I'm about to fall down all day long. Y'all, I want to close with this, with a, with a challenge. And it is a little bit of a challenge. I want to challenge every one of us to, to get in God's word prayerfully for 10 minutes every day this week. Maybe you need to set your alarm 10 minutes early. Maybe you need to, to take a Bible with you to lunch when you take a lunch break. How many of you don't have a Bible on your phone? Everybody in this room has a Bible on their phone. How many of you go to lunch and you don't take your phone with you? Everybody takes their phone to lunch with them. 
So don't tell me that you ain't got time. I, I don't want to hear it. That was kind of hardcore, but I don't. Amen. Get in the Word 10 minutes a day. I believe it'll change your life. You know why? Because the creator of the universe wrote it. And I believe that it'll change your life. I believe that, that things will look different. You will have a daily conversation with the creator of the universe. And I believe that you'll end up doing that for the rest of your life. And it will bring truth to every area of your life. Those truths are not just for Sunday. Those truths are not, it's not like you can say, well, this is my spiritual life. And this over here, this is my work life. And this right back here, this is my family life. No, undergirding, first of all, every sphere of every one of our lives are interconnected. And undergirding all of it is biblical truth. That's the rock that it gets built on. Don't separate things out. He wants that relationship with you. He wants to be your Abba Father. And you can't have that unless you say yes to the offer. So if you're sitting here, if you're watching online, and you never said yes to that offer, again, it's not a difficult thing. i got to acknowledge that I'm a sinner. It's got to begin there. If I'm not a sinner, then I ain't got no need for, for anything. Right? If I'm not a sinner, I have no need to be rescued. If I'm not drowning, I don't need the lifeguard to come save me. So I got to acknowledge that I'm a sinner. And then I got to repent. Turn away from the sin, best I can, turn away from the sin and turn towards the Lord. Believe that he died on that cross to save me, to believe that a debt had to be paid and I could choose to pay it myself. I could. With eternal damnation, I could I could choose to pay that the debt's going to get paid one way or the other, right? I personally, 21 years ago, just chose to accept that he paid the debt for me. Undeservedly as the day is long, but I accepted that. So it's really, it's repent, turn away from sin, turn towards the Lord, believe that he died on the cross to pay that debt. Three days later, he walked out of that grave alive, and I believe it, and I believe it. If, you, if that's you today, I want you to pray this with me. If you're watching or if you're in here, out loud, if you want to come down to the cross, Please come down to the cross. But y'all just pray with me. Lord, I am a sinner. Desperately in need of you. Desperately in need of rescue. My heart's jacked up and only you can fix it. And Lord, I do believe that you died on the cross and I do believe that that paid that debt. And I believe it as sure as I'm standing here or sitting here. And Lord, I do believe that you rose, you were literally dead, and you rose to life. And I believe it happened. Lord, save me. I want you to be my Abba Father. Save me. In Jesus' name, amen. And I'm proud to say in Jesus' name on the backside of that.